Ben, it's been a while since we have recorded here in the community studio. It's okay. You'll do fine. Just keep it together. I'm a little bit nervous. You know, there are parts of every season that I enjoy. Last time we recorded, believe it or not, we had just, we were in the throes of the fall in autumn. And now we are in the clutches of winter. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's vivid. Do you know what my favorite part of winter is? My misery. That is a good part of winter. <laughs> it's not my favorite part, though. It's one of your favorites. Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I have a soft spot in my heart for Girl Scout. And not just any Girl Scout cookies. There are certain Girl Scout cookies that are not even worth your time. There's peanut butter ones and marshmallow ones that you pay exorbitant amounts of money for, and you only get a couple of them in this little tray, and they're not even that good. The best. What do you think it is? The coconut ones. No. <laughs> no. Are you going to be like one of those really basic thin mint people? Thin mints. <laughs> so, oh, are you kidding it's me? It's so obvious, man. It's just, oh. It's, it's yeah, it's, oh, it's too cliche. Thin mint Girl Scout cookies. You got to go it against is, the grain a little bit. It's, go it's that time of the season. Speaking of Girl Scouts, we're talking about atheism. <laughs> you should not leave with that in evangelism. Please, that's not... The Lord doesn't want you to say that to your atheist friend. Oh, man. We are, we are launching into 2024 with a bang. We missed the first, three, uh, the first three weeks of 2024 because it has been crazy around this building. It's been crazy around this ministry. God has been kind enough to allow us to enter into a renovation project that has um, dominated a lot of our time and um, has given us uh, ministries here at the church and at the school as an arm of our church that have kept us uh, unbelievably busy. But we had an effective uh, pastor's retreat a couple weeks ago. We have begun 2024 with a bang and here we sit the first podcast of the year why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about evangelism evangelism is taking the message of the gospel the evangel and not just sharing the gospel but giving the gospel what's the difference well you know sharing can have this idea of pulling up a chair and and maybe sharing thoughts on something and with the gospel, there is a, um, a a declaration that is made to the unbeliever in that when we give the gospel, we are not necessarily, or not necessarily, we are not at all having a an open conversation about what is right and what is wrong, hmm. but we are declaring the truth. Now, it's done in a kind way, in a loving way. So you're emphasizing that when we give the gospel as Christians, there's... Uh, you're emphasizing an authority that's behind the message as we give it. Correct. So there is a, a responsibility in the listener to respond to the gospel in submission and faith. Because it's it's decla- it's a declarative truth, a declarative statement right. where we okay. say this is what the truth is. And so when we give the gospel, and I may actually use the phrase share the gospel. I'm trying not to use that as much. I like give the gospel better. Mm-hmm. Um, But um, as we give the gospel to the unsaved world, we have to recognize that no matter what the lost person's perspective is or what their false belief is, the gospel does not change. So it's not as though we would say, hey, here's one gospel for a Buddhist, here's a gospel for a Muslim, here's a gospel for a Mormon, here's a gospel for a Jehovah's Witness. 
we give them one gospel. However, there are unique challenges for a person who has embraced the teachings of those false religions or cults. There, there are challenges that would um, that would keep them from understanding certain aspects of the gospel that may need a specific emphasis on our end, mm-hmm. right? And so, what we're going to do over the next several podcasts is we're going to take um, some of the common, um, maybe cults, religions. Or, or worldviews that our church will come in contact with in their everyday life. And we're going to say, uh, how do we emphasize certain aspects of the gospel to these hmm. mindsets? Does yeah, that make sense? It does, yeah. You follow that? Yeah, I do. Was that clear enough? Could you say it a little slower and in smaller words, please? Give it to me like I'm five. <laughs> Not, no, I can't do that. <laughs> it's the first one of the new year, man. We're trying to be super clear here. <laughs> Okay, so um, for this podcast, we are going to talk about giving the gospel to an atheist. So I'm going to be interviewing you in this, Pastor okay. Ben, and um, and I know you have some, um, perhaps some experience with speaking to someone from an atheist perspective and giving them gospel truths and maybe certain questions that were given and certain um, truths that were that were actively suppressed and others they hadn't thought about to bring up. So what, first of all, what is atheism? If, if somebody were to say I'm an atheist and they actually know what that means, what would they be referencing? It'd be a denial. Uh, either that God exists or that the knowledge of God's existence is useful in any sense. So an atheist is either going to say, I don't believe that God exists at all, or I don't think it matters in any conceivable way, whether or not God exists. And those are two different, those are two different beliefs, but they come out to the same thing. They come out Mm -hmm. to the same lifestyle. And I think that's why I would group them as the, as being under the same heading is uh, uh, most of the time, if an atheist knows what they're talking about, they, they deny the existence of God passionately. But I think it's also possible for a person to be an atheist who says, you know, I'm not an agnostic, like I'm not open to either possibility, because I really genuinely believe that it is an irrelevant point whether or not God exists. It does not matter. And that's important to understand when we're witnessing to an atheist is that not only do we have to pray that they recognize that God does exist, but they have to recognize that God is their creator and thus holds authority over their life right? in, in, their, in their end. Yeah. So what are some common, um, maybe some arguments that an atheist would use? Or uh, let, let's say if we were to enter into a conversation with an atheist, what are some things that we can expect? What are some aspects of the conversation we can expect? What are some, um, maybe some some verbiage they may they may use in this conversation? What are some questions they may have? Um, what, what are some things we can expect to be a part of the conversation? That's a good question. Uh, in some ways, it's 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 going to be a different experience based on the context that the conversation is happening in. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get a very different experience if you try to interact with an atheist through an online forum than you mm-hmm. would if you happen to have an atheist neighbor that you have sitting across from your you and your kitchen table. So let's let's narrow this down to someone they're having a face to face conversation with. Yeah. This would be someone, maybe if if a teenager is listening, someone in your school, yeah, or a college student, someone in your in your classes, um, or a coworker, or a neighbor, yeah, okay, or even even a family member, an extended family member. So let's let's do face to face, has some sort of relationship. They go to give the gospel, and a great a great um, way to give the gospel. The first opening question is, "Hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Right? Do you have any spiritual beliefs or leanings? What are some aspects of that conversation that would be very common for an atheist to focus on?" Yeah, I, I t- to be honest, 
there are not extensively, in my experience, are not extensively developed arguments against the existence of God. Generally, your average atheist will um, try to put the burden of proof on a spiritual person to demonstrate that God does exist. Hmm. Like, it's, it's my intellectual integrity that prevents me from acknowledging God's existence unless I can be clearly demonstrated to that God actually does exist. So what an atheist does is not, it's not like they're like, man, we know it's so obvious that it looks like God exists. And so we've come up with all of these philosophical arguments to demonstrate why God doesn't exist. That's, that's not at all how atheists typically approach it. Atheists almost always try to put the burden of proof on Christians to demonstrate that God really does exist. They're like, well, you know, we don't see it. We don't touch it. We don't taste him. We don't smell him. So it's up to you to demonstrate to me why he, why I should believe in him. So they, they would take atheism as the baseline and say anything more than that, any supernatural being or supernatural occurrences, you're going to need to demonstrate that to me. So in terms of like an atheist, like their, their arguments for their position or this or that, they're going to generally appeal to the scientific principle. Mm -hmm. So they're just going to generally kind of talk about, well, you know, you can't demonstrate the existence of God in a laboratory. You can't perform the scientific method on God. So it's going to be a very like rationalist enlightenment sort of a generalism that uh, I says, you know, like you can't demonstrate the existence of God. They're also going to talk about um, social evolution, probably. Uh, they'll talk about how society has evolved over time. It used to be that we were very superstitious. People believed in a pantheon of gods, and then we got more advanced. We only believe in one god. and But now we've kind of gotten past the need for that. We don't really need the existence of God. And this is where what I mentioned before is uh, the correlation between belief in the existence of God and belief in the practical relevance of God. Because mm -hmm. an atheist typically is going to hold to both of those things or one of those things more strongly. So they're going to look at just science in general and say, well, uh, God is not, we, we don't see God in the material universe. Um, we only have our material senses to go on. So there's no particular reason to believe in God. Moreover, as we look at history, we see this progress, social evolutionary progress, where we're more and more advanced. Again, it's an enlightenment philosophy that thinks things are getting better and better and more and more progressive sure. in, in society is getting overall more clear, more accurate, better evolved, all these sorts of things. Um, and on that basis, we, we've moved past the need for God. Whatever kind of uh, help uh, religious belief provided yeah. to society and culture, we've moved beyond that. The leg is healed enough that we don't need the crutches anymore. Yeah. Okay. So what are, um, so if I'm witnessing to an atheist and I say, what are your, what are your spiritual beliefs? I don't have any, I don't, I don't believe the spiritual realm exists. I don't believe anything beyond nature, anything beyond what we can see and experience yeah. exists. Uh, where do I, where do I go from there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, obviously like the, the realm of apologetics has dealt with this pretty extensively. So there's a lot of arguments. Okay. For so existence. you, you brought up a, a word apologetics Yeah. and apologetics. We need to understand what that is. Sure. We all seem to understand its role in, in, in our life. Right. So what is, what is apologetics? Right. And we're not going to go super far down this rabbit nope. hole. Cause it's just, just, a, a, just an aside. Real brief. But, uh, apologetics is, um, uh, just a rational defense of something you believe. Okay. When applied to Christianity, 
It's the thought through arguments that demonstrate the logical consistency of Christian teaching. So, and that's fairly important because a lot of people who view apologetics see them as functioning in a way that can argue someone into believing in God. That's not the function of apologetics. No. Is to give is to prove that the belief in God and the belief specifically in the Bible or whatever you're arguing for is rational. Right. Yep. It's a rational belief. So go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, so um, the apologetics has quite a, you know, a, an armament of arguments for the plausibility of the existence of God. But I think that the most effective thing to do always, both from an apologetics perspective, as well as from a biblical perspective, from meaning the biblical text, is I think you have to go at morality. You ask okay. questions about morality Going every single time. Morality. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one is because um, atheists, especially in modern times, they cannot get away from the idea of objective morality. Mm -hmm. And objective morality is the chink in the armor of atheism. Okay, it's where objective morality so we don't lose people. Sure, We're yeah, running, yeah, no, running towards good versus evil. There right. are some things that are inherently good and some things that are inherently evil. Right. Objective morality just means that some things are right or wrong independently of the social context era of history, culture, or people performing it. Yep. So for instance, objective morality would say genocide is always unjustified. It's always wrong, no matter who's doing it, no matter who it's being done to, no yep. matter what era of history, genocide is always wrong. That's objective morality. Yep. And objective morality just says there is a system of certain things that are always right, and certain things that are always wrong. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't mean that everything in the world is objectively right or wrong, but it does mean that there is a system of things that are objectively right or wrong. And you always want to go in that direction in your conversation as a Christian with an atheist. Number one, because that's where the worldview gap is in atheism. They, they don't have a consistency when it comes to objective morality. Um, and even if they say that they don't believe in objective morals, they really do believe in objective morals and the goal of the conversation would be to help them realize that they do actually believe in objective morals. Um, and the ways to do that, if somebody, if somebody's listening to this, they have an atheist friend, they want to go deeper in this, they could email you and you could oh, yeah, help with for that. Sure, yeah. You could do some research online definitely, and, definitely. and good answers in Genesis or there, there are a lot of different resources that can really help through this, but okay, so we're, we're, we're running straight to objective morality. Right. And the, the second reason that, you know, the first one is apologetics, but the second reason is biblical. And it's because Romans one eighteen tells us that there is a knowledge of God that's written on the human heart. That's right. That's been suppressed in unrighteousness by all people universally because of the fact that they're dead in their trespasses and sins. So Romans one eighteen says, for this reason, the wrath of God is revealed um, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, because of their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth in yeah. unrighteousness. Um, they're denying the creator that they know. And God says, and for this reason, they're without excuse because yeah. what may be known about God is plain to them because Romans he's clearly 1. revealed it. Yep. Romans 1, 18 yep. and following. I actually had that open. I'm just going to read this. Romans 1, he, he quoted Romans 1, 18, 19, for what has been known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God 
or give thanks to him. And there, some people might be like, well, that what that's talking about is not morality, it's the existence of God. And I get that, but remember, atheists deny the existence of God. Mm-hmm. But the way we see the existence of God most clearly in an atheist worldview, we see the inconsistency of their worldview is in morality. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm having... Well, a, and I think, I think that could fit into Romans chapter 1, because it says it's clearly displayed in the things that are made. Yeah. And, and what is God's pinnacle of creation? It's the human made in the image of God. <laughs> Thus, with morality, God's nature, though broken and marred, imprinted on his heart and his life. And and objective morality always is sourced in the divine essence, right? Something can only be objective. um, You know, something can only be objective if it's sourced in who God is in himself. Okay. Um, So anyways, but all all that to say, always talk about morality. So, you know, you're having a conversation with an atheist. You're asking about them getting to know them, or maybe you know them for quite a while. And you just ask a simple question like, Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. um, How do you determine what's right and wrong as an atheist? And say, you know, like I, you know, maybe I grew up in Christianity, so I don't get a lot of experience in this sort of a field or, you know, I believe in God, so I know how I determine right and wrong, but I'm just curious, how do you determine what's right and wrong? And an atheist can only go in one of a few different directions. He can talk about um, intuition, he can talk about like an emotional feeling, or he can talk about like consequences and the group think of society. Mm. So it's like, okay, well... Morality can either be determined in some way by me as an individual, or morality can be determined in some way by context in society, culture, groups of people, or judged by the consequences of those actions. So, for instance, you know, like, something is right or wrong dependent on whether or not it produces harm in another person. That's where I was going. That's the big one right now that you hear the word harm. Right, yeah, I can't, it's, you know, that's, and that's why I think it's so important that we go to objective morality, because in our secular age, it's amazing that even though our society has drawn moral boundaries in the wrong places, um, they're drawing very clearly objectively moral Mm -hmm. boundaries, but there's no reason for them to have objective morals for this reason. If God does not exist, then it means that, number one, there is no purpose to life, Mm -hmm. and number two, the idea of personal dignity is an invented concept. There's nowhere you can get personal dignity from other than society making it up because it brings us pleasure to think of ourselves as being worth something. Um, So anytime that we base an idea of right or wrong on the dignity of another person, why can't you harm that other person? Yeah, and that's the the next question. Why is harm bad? Why is harm bad? Because it degrades that person, because it invades their space, it harms their dignity, it harms their self-worth. But then the question just becomes, well, why are those things important? Yep. Why would why should we care or why do those how do you know that those things really exist? How do you really know that like you know degrading somebody is a bad thing? And this is where it's like well they can't really get an answer for that because in order to get an answer for that you have to appeal to something that's transcendent, something that's objective. You have to say well human beings by virtue of what they are are dignified or have a transcendent value. But that can't possibly be the case if there's no god yep. because it means that this world is purely the product of chance, that it came about by natural means without any kind of a direction to it, which means that nothing in this world is of any greater value than we assign to it. And if I can assign value to something, I can just as easily assign value to something else. And so, again, I don't want to ever give the impression that 
atheists don't believe in objective morality. They do, but they don't have a good reason for it. Yep. They have to borrow from Christianity in order to believe in objective morals to begin with. And this is so if somebody's listening to this and they are they kind of are having a hard time following that train of thought, you can go back and listen to that several times and here's the here's the argument that at least gives an atheist pause to say it's a rational belief that God exists is that there are some things that are always right and always wrong. And the definition, if an atheist gives a definition, well, it's wrong if it brings harm to someone. The question is, well, why is it wrong to harm? And there is no, I mean, I, I listened to an atheist. There's no good answer for that. I listened to an atheist who said, you know, we, we are worth nothing. We are worth no more as human beings than a tree or a mushroom is. Right. And, 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 but that's not the way we live our lives. So here's my, here's where I kind of want to bring this around full circle. The practice of apologetics is, is helpful in giving a rational, um, defense for what we believe and a rational argument to say, this is what makes the most sense based on what God has given us, right. Of, of who we are. But there's also a point to where an atheist will never be saved because of apologetics. An atheist, based on the moral argument, cannot be argued into a position of of salvation. Well, and this is why I actually use the moral argument first and foremost, and I'll use the others just in reference. But here's here's the here's the connection point. It, the goal in this moral argument is not to argue them into any particular position, and it's certainly not to try and make them be a consistent atheist where they reject objective moral values. Because number one, it's a losing battle. They can't mm -hmm. actually do it. God doesn't yeah. allow you to live that way in actuality. Yeah. People who genuinely live that way are genuinely insane, and they get mm -hmm. locked up because they're highly destructive people. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that as you work through this moral argument, number one, uh, Greg Kokel talks about this in his book Tactics, but he, he, he has this analogy of you're putting a pebble in their shoe. Yep. And this is the concept of uh, in apologetics, one of the goals is not to argue a particular position so much. I mean, it is, but to, but to help introduce questions that their worldview can't answer yep. and to help them say, that's interesting. I don't know that that really works. Do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says about this? And that's where we run to. Well, and then the second thing is that with the moral argument, once they do recognize that there are objective moral values in the world and atheists can't, atheism can't account for it, they have to ask the question and you in the conversation say, where do you think objective morals come from? Because mm -hmm. the Bible says that there is an infinitely good God who has created the world to reflect his character. Because what you always want to do is you always want to take general talk about objective morals and you want to bring it down to the specific level of the God who created them. That's right. And the fact that, listen, there are objective morals and you know about them, but you haven't lived up to them. Mm -hmm. And this is where... We use it, the apologetical yeah. argument of moral arguments to actually transition to a discussion about the law and sin. See, and that's where, so one of the, I remember listening to a, um, an, a debate, and it was the first one of its kind in my lifetime between Bill Nye and Ken Ham. Do you remember that? Yeah. Were you, were you, okay, you're old enough to remember that. Um, I was I, in college when that. I remember down, yeah. watching that debate and one phrase from Ken Ham stood out to me. He kept saying something to Bill and I. He said, Bill, there's a book. Bill, there's a book that will give you that answer if you're interested in it. And he said that like three or four times. And Bill and I actually got frustrated. 
there's a book that will answer this for you. And in my opinion, like I'm just going to read you a, a one verse for my sermon this coming Sunday, John five twenty five. truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. And what we can do as believers is to understand these arguments, understand the rationale for them, understand that that the moral argument puts, you know, you can say a pebble in the shoe. I've always uh, pictured it as a as a uh, kernel of corn. You ever eaten popcorn, got a mm-hmm. kernel stuck in your tooth? Yeah. That's what I've always pictured as, is a, you know, you get a, a popcorn kernel stuck in your tooth, and it's so annoying because no matter what you do, it won't it won't come out, yeah. you know? And you're sitting there working and working and working, and you want to place that in their heart to say, there are questions you can't answer, but there's a book that will answer them. And then to show them the word of God so they can hear the voice of God and so that they, they will respond so that that life from the word of God can awaken their dead soul, yeah. you know? And so to use an atheistic uh, argument to, to draw them to scripture, there is an answer for you. And if you'd like, if you'd like to know what I believe about that answer, you may not be able to answer this, but if, but if you'd like to know what I believe, or if you'd like to know where I get my answers, I'd like I'd love to show you. There's a right. book that's written, and you know, and I, I fully agree with everything you said, especially at the beginning of the podcast about the authority behind our declaration of yep. the gospel, God's command to repent and believe. Um, but with an atheist, especially, you want the conversation to go on as long as possible because yep. it takes time. And mm-hmm. We're going to talk about this next time we do the podcast, as we talk about Mormonism. Mm-hmm. I think the average is it takes a Mormon something like seven years, seven years yep. from the time they first hear the gospel to the time that they're converted if mm-hmm. they become a Christian. Um, and uh, that's not a denial of the sovereignty of God. That's no. just a reality of how God works through secondary means of uh, uh, testimony and uh, witnessing. But with an atheist, when you're talking with an atheist, ask as many questions as possible. You have the confidence as a Christian to know that atheism doesn't actually stand up to close scrutiny. That's right. And so keep asking questions, keep asking questions, make them biblical questions, make them questions that are related to biblical doctrines and truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's best not to come out of the gate with an atheist in an argumentative fashion. It rarely goes well. That's right. And so un- unless the person is a sociopath, if you ask enough questions, they will discover if they're thinking about it, that their arguments are not consistent and coherent. Right. And so we then have the opportunity to put a name to the consistency and coherency of scripture. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it does take time. It takes months and months, sometimes years of just asking questions in my conversations with a, with an atheist that I've had in the past. What I found is that, um, if a person is really thinking about it and you plant that, um, popcorn kernel in their, in their teeth and, and plant the pebble, their shoe, a lot of times they will come back with questions. But what do you think about this? But but what about this? And you yeah. can continue the conversation yeah. and always ending with a question that that is causing them to think and then putting a name to that. Mm-hmm. We we can't stop at apologetics unless we draw it to Jesus. Right. You know? And this is you know where in in the scriptures the apostles preached the same gospel wherever they went, but Paul was very careful to um put the emphasis in the gospel on the place where it was the greatest struggle. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, his, his message on Mars Hill is vastly different than his mis- message in yep. Jewish synagogues yep. because he had an understanding of where they were coming from, what they, what truths they already accepted 
yep. and what truths they needed to be built on from that point. So for yep. you know those on Mars Hill, they had a belief in an unknown God, and he needed to build on that truth, mm-hmm. right? He couldn't start from a place of Old Testament scriptures because they had no knowledge of yep. it. It didn't yep. mean anything to them. Yep. Um, and that's why it needs to take. That's why it needs to take time. Yeah. And here, here's here's where maybe. You know, perhaps someone who was raised in a Christian home and has been not taught evangelism effectively um, can err. And it is that the goal isn't to get them to pray a prayer, right? Right. We're not asking them to cast a magic spell over their soul with over their soul with some words. We're not. We're not asking them to perform some sort of ritual. What What salvation requires is an understanding and a submission to the authority of Jesus Christ over their life. Right. And unless they come to the understanding of who G- who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, the need for salvation, then and then not only that but the appropriation of that to their own soul through humility, then then genuine salvation can never happen. And so the the encouragement that I would give if there's someone who's who's listening to this who's working with an atheist be very patient. Mm-hmm. Recognize that the process that may seem frustrating to you is the process that God will actually use to slowly break down the barriers of their heart. And honestly, like you know, beyond the conversations themselves, you got to pray. That's right. <laughs> pray Bathe that the it in Holy prayer. Spirit would yep. do a work. You know, pray for. Mm-hmm. Sometimes at work, it's difficult to find those opportunities, and sometimes you have one spiritual conversation with a person, and then they avoid you like the plague every mm-hmm. time they've got free time. Pray that God would give you obvious opportunities to have conversations during slow times at work. Pray that, you know, hey, nothing's going on for the next five minutes. Lord, would you give me an Mm -hmm. opportunity just to continue to build this relationship with this person? Would you give me the opportunity to ask one question or, you know, something like that? And And the question may be this. I I can't witness at work. Okay, well, what if you had your coworker over for dinner? Yeah. And that first dinner was all about getting to know them and loving them and building the foundation of the faith that you have. You pray in the prayer before the meal, you give the gospel and, you know, things like that. Like it's, it may be to where someone would say, I, I can't have conversations like that at work or my neighbors don't talk to me. We, um, something that we've done is we have a a neighborhood block party, uh, once every fall. And we have, we do hot dogs and hamburgers and everybody brings a side. And the first year there was just a few this past year. We had a ton of people in our neighborhood out and, and it's just building platforms to share the gospel. We'll ask one more question and we'll okay. be done. All right. Uh, I come to you, Ben, and I say, oh man, I've got a friend who I know that knows an atheist, but he seems or she seems so smart and I'm scared when I get in this conversation, I'm not going to be able to answer his questions. What do I do? Or I've been having this conversation and they've asked a question and I'm stumped. What do I do now? How would you answer that? Yeah. I thank you for coming and talking to me. What's your question? You know, like there you I, go. Find, we, we have so many resources that we can make available. The question well, how is, how should they, how should they, let me back up. I wasn't clear. How should they respond to their atheist friend when, when they ask them a question that they don't know the answer to? So that's a really good question. I want to think about that. Can we keep having this go. conversation later on? And it actually gives you a platform to come back to it. Man, right. That's a great question. I've never thought about that. I'm sure there's an answer to it, but I need to do some reading and some thinking. Let me get back to you. And one of the reasons that's important, especially with atheists, is atheists, um, it's not always true in actuality, but they pride themselves on being intellectually open, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, the pride of an atheist is to say, man, 
I'm objective. I just look at all the evidence and, uh, you know, I just come to whatever conclusions wherever the evidence leads me. I don't think that's true most of the time, but that's Mm -hmm. at least how an atheist prides himself. So if you as a Christian who they already are going to assume more than likely is a bigoted, closed minded, emotional basket case. Mm -hmm. If you as a Christian say, that's a really interesting question. I, I love thinking about this kind of stuff, but I'm not sure what to say right now. Can I come back and get some more information and come back and finish this later? I think it will honestly boost the amount of credibility you have in the conversation with a person like that, that they see you're willing to have the conversation, that you're willing to think and you're willing to be intellectually honest with them, which is what you're hopefully expecting them to do with you. Um, And so I think that's just uh, keep the conversation going and ask for more time. That's great. Time is your friend. Ask time to process and, um, and, and pray, 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 pray. I was going to end with that, but you brought it in a little bit earlier. Well, which as, I'm as long as, uh, you know, we, if, if you have any questions, please, we, we have lots of resources, yeah. a lot of things we could point you to that are helpful yeah. and uh, would, would give but you some help. But with confidence, the believer can say, we have the truth. Yeah. And, and with confidence, the believer can say, when we ask enough questions, there will be holes that will appear and the coherence and consistency of the atheist worldview that can be answered by scripture. So we go in with confidence, even though we may not know the answer to all the questions, we know where the answers can be found and we have resources that can help. And so if you have someone who's an atheist, um, give them the gospel and start out with, do you have any spiritual beliefs and ask a lot of questions, seek to understand and don't be afraid to press in and tell them about the truth of forgiveness that Christ offers on the cross.